0: Open your Bibles, if you will, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 60, once again. Our theme this year is His glory is upon us. His glory is upon us. Say it with me. His glory is upon us. Is upon us. Say it this way. His glory is upon me. His glory is upon me. Point to yourself. His glory, is upon me. His glory is upon me. Praise God. That's an awesome statement. It's an awesome truth. And praise God, what an what a awesome privilege it is to live on this planet in the times in which we live, knowing that the glory of the Lord is upon our lives, representing His presence, His power, and His goodness. So Isaiah chapter 60, once again, we've read it earlier today. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Notice people will see it, the glory. Now, if you ask most Christians today, what is the glory? What is the glory? You'd be amazed at the number of answers you would get. And some of them would not line up with God's word at all. You know, we see examples of the glory all over the Bible. And Sometimes it comes in the form of smoke. Sometimes it comes in the form of lightning and thunder and, and uh, various different things. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's not saying you're going to be walking around in this dark world and lightning will emanate from you. <laughs> and smoke will come off of you. It's not likely to happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it's not likely to happen. So what is he saying? The glory shall be seen upon thee. So what he's referring to, if you study your Bible closely, it's the manifested presence, manifested power, and manifested goodness of God. That's what people will see. That's what people need to see. And notice they see it in times of great darkness. That's when they need to see it the most. And I don't know about you, but I believe that is a, a description of the world we live in today. It's dark out there. It's getting darker by the moment and people need to see something that represents a solution, an answer. Amen. And the glory of the Lord on us. The Bible says it will be seen. And notice In verse 3, and the Gentiles, or the non-believers, shall come to thy light. So the glory of the Lord on our lives will act as a magnet. It will draw people to us. Can you say amen? Amen. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Notice Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Let your light so shine among men. That's what Chariots of Light is all about. We're letting our lights shine. When the Lord impressed upon me uh, a number of years ago, back in 1998, to form this ministry, uh, Chariots of Light, I was flying back from California, I was sitting in the back of my airplane and just uh, relaxing, enjoying getting to come home. And the Lord began to impress upon me that He wanted me to launch into this ministry. And uh, he said, and I want you to call it chariots of light. And he gave me Philippians chapter two, where we are to go into a dark and polluted world, shining as lights. Amen. That's where the name came from, chariots of light. He gave me the logo, gave me uh, uh, what, what to put on it and so forth. Come home, gave it to the art department. They began to work on it. And little did we know in those early days, that it would reach the level that it has reached today. You know, we started out just as uh, uh, guys that worked in my ministry, Uh, myself, Rodney, uh, my son-in-law, and uh, three or four other guys that rode motorcycles. We just did it, first of all, as just a way to fellowship, go have a breakfast run. And as we did that, we had an opportunity, seemed like every time we went out, an opportunity to minister to somebody. Those bikes attracted people. Ronda, you probably remember this. We rode one day out uh, uh, going past uh, Brian Irving Road, and there's a, a Cracker Barrel restaurant out there on the highway. We stopped in there to have breakfast. And um, there was only about seven or eight of us, and, and uh, somebody come by and saw our vest and Said, do you guys own those motorcycles out there? Yep, we do. They said, there's a good looking bikes. And uh, the first first thing that drew them was the motorcycle. We hadn't said a word yet. We hadn't preached. We hadn't done anything. The motorcycles drew them. And they were asking us about it. And and then the guy said, uh, and and we had prayed. Don't let me forget this part. We had prayed before we left the ministry. Lord, cause uh, our bikes, our vest, whatever to attract somebody that we can minister to. And so there, there he was, him and his family. They had just graduated from the Baptist seminary and they were going out for their first assignment out in West Texas to a little small church. And uh, he said, I just accepted a, 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 a invitation to come and try out to be the pastor of this little church. Just a handful of people. They were excited, you know, they graduated from the seminary and now they're headed into full-time ministry. And uh, it was pretty obvious that they were uh, in need of finances. And so we're sitting there having breakfast, you know, and and, uh, uh, we said, guys, I said to the guys, "Let's let's all sow a seed into their lives and help them get to that little town and be the first people to sow into their ministry. Amen. And they were just overwhelmed that we would do that. And we said, well, that's what we're here for. That's what we're all about, praise God. Little did we know that that would become something that would carry us for the next 20 some odd years into reaching people all over the world. A quarter, over a quarter of a million people have come to Christ just because of the Charity Light Motorcycle Ministry. That that doesn't include any of my overseas meetings, campaigns, crusades, whatever you want to call them, or any of my church meetings here in America, other than when we uh, set it up as a church tour for Charity Light. But this is mostly one-on-one evangelism, amen. And those of you that are members, you know that we we've said from the beginning to be a member of Charity Light. Number one, you have to have a passion for God. Number two, you have to have a passion for souls. And then number three, a passion for motorcycles. And we keep it in that order. We never allow the passion for motorcycles to become first. Amen. The motorcycle is just a tool to get us there. Hallelujah. Amen. And what a great tool it is. In fact, sometimes when we're on these tours, uh, we've had as many as a hundred people on tour. One time up in Montana, had nearly a hundred people on tour. And we're riding through the beautiful state of Montana, big country, you know, and big sky country is what they call it. And I'm looking back there as all these bikes coming behind me. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. And suddenly I begin to think, God pays me to do this. (laughs) Hallelujah. I do it for free. Don't tell him. But I do it for free. (laughs) Amen. I remember uh, riding my bike by myself. A lot of times before I ever started chariots and I'd have some of our road crew to hook up our trailer and put my bike in it. And when the meetings were all over with, I'd say, unload my bike, I'm going to ride it home. And I'd be out there riding all by myself and uh, just enjoying the scenery, enjoying my fellowship with the Lord and never dreamed at that point that someday we'd be doing this as a major outreach. And now praise God, I get to ride motorcycles all over the world. We got chapters in South Africa, got chapters in Australia. I've, I've got to ride all over the world. I've ridden through the, the Italian Alps. That is some fun, hallelujah. I went to Ducati in Italy and they gave me a VIP tour of the plant. And afterwards they said, would you like to ride one of our Ducati's? I said, is the Pope Catholic? Of course, they understand that in Italy. And uh, I said, yes, I'd like to ride one of your new ducatis And they allowed me to take a new Ducati out and ride through the Italian Alps. And when I got back, uh, the following week, we were going to the Ferrari plant. And so uh, I didn't get the VIP tour, but I did get to see a little bit of the Ferrari plant. And I told the guy who showed me around, I said, uh, I was at Ducati last week and they let me ride a new Ducati. Are you going to let me drive a new Ferrari? They said, no. (laughs) But then the following year, I went back and did an Italian tour. I preached in several different cities. And one of the churches that I was in, uh, a man who is an executive with Ferrari, heard that I had been there the year before and, and didn't get to drive a Ferrari. So he said, when I got there, Uh, would you like to come and have a VIP tour of the Ferrari plant? I said, yes, sir, I would. He said, well, you'll be my guest. So we had several guys that went with us, and we got to tour the Ferrari plant. And then afterwards, he said, now, I understand that when you were here last year, you didn't get to drive a Ferrari, but I've arranged for you to do that this year. Not only that, he said, I have assigned to you a Formula One race driver. And he said... uh, uh, we've got the Ferrari setting out in front and, uh, the one that you're going to drive and, uh, he's going to be your host. And so when I got in, we introduced ourselves and, and I got in the car and he said, "Now you're driving now. I'm not, I'm not driving. You're driving. And, uh, he said, now let me ask you a question. Would you like to go to our test track and drive it? Or would you like to go to the back country and drive it? I said, what would you recommend being a formula one race driver? He said, the back country. I said, let's go to the back country. And so he said, all right, I'll tell you how to get out there. So we drove out away from the city and he said, now, uh, a short distance from here, uh, there is a roundabout and there's not much traffic out there. And he said, this is where you can see what this car will do. He said, now, I want you to go around the roundabout. And I went around it. He said, next time, Faster. I went a little faster. He said, faster. I went around it again. He said, faster. Man, I'm going around this roundabout, and this car is hugging the the track. I mean, it it was effortless. And he said, now when we come back to this other side, there's a straightaway, and I want you to punch it. Go for it. That's what I wanted to hear. Hallelujah. And boy, when we got on that straight away. I got that Ferrari up to 180 miles an hour. 180 miles an hour. Go ahead and touch me, Billy. It'll be all right. Praise God. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face for three weeks after I got home. And, and when I got back to the plant, the guys that went with me, Tony and uh, the pastor, uh, um, uh, Mauro Gigenti and uh, some, let's see, John Ben Dixon from South Africa, They were all standing there waiting for me to get back. They saw the smile on my face and they knew I had had a good time. Praise God. That's the favor of God. I say, I say, that's the favor of God. Amen. Amen. Now what that has to do with my sermon? I have no idea, but I just wanted to tell you that praise God. Amen. No, what I'm saying is the glory of the Lord shining on us becomes an attraction. Amen becomes an attraction. That's that's why we use the motorcycles because the bikes themselves become an attraction. We're always drawing people. Every time we stop uh, to to refuel or to stop to get something to eat, there's always somebody coming and looking at the bikes. And of course, we're all got our vest on, and eventually. Uh, we're in, uh, seven 11s or convenience stores or cafes, and you'll see some of the guys over there and people got their heads bowed and they're leading them to the Lord. Praise God. Amen. But it all started because of the motorcycle. It attracted them. I like, I like, uh, to watch little kids. I remember when I was a little boy and my, I had an uncle, my dad's brother, he wrote a, a 57, uh, Harley and, uh, Oh, I, 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 loved just looking at that bike and I just, I just, uh, could hardly wait to get big enough to ride it myself, but I used to ride on the back of his bike and he'd take me all over, you know, Vicksburg, Mississippi on the back of this bike. And, and, uh, I can remember, uh, he'd take me to the dealership, the Harley dealership from time to time. And back then they certainly weren't show places as they are today. They were in the worst part of town. And a lot of outlaws hung out there, you know. But we'd go over there and uh, he might have to do something, uh, do some repairs or something. And I'd get to walk in there and look at the new Harleys. Oh, I was just captivated by it. And I get to watch now, every time I get on my bike and go somewhere, a lot of times little kids are getting out of the car with their families. And the first thing that little kid wants to do is go over and look at that bike. You know, he's attracted by the chrome. You know the shininess, and uh, and a lot of times I'll say, "Hey, would you like to sit on it?" Really? His eyes get this big. Yeah, sit on it. Let's get a picture together. And boy, they're taking pictures, you know. And he's just beaming. Amen. Yeah. And a lot of times it'll turn into an opportunity to to witness, to minister to the family, and so forth. It's an attraction. God wants us to be people who attract others. Yeah. That's right. That's why he put his glory on us. Amen. People can tell when God's doing something in your life. People can tell when you're experiencing the goodness of God. Amen. You got that silly grin. (laughs) You just can't wipe it off when you know that that God has been doing some good things for you. And uh, God's been doing the miraculous for you. God has given you turnarounds and breakthroughs. You just can't wipe the smile off your face. Amen. And you'd be amazed at how many people are attracted to just a smile because a lot of people never see a smile in their own homes. Amen. Amen. We're living in a crazy world today. Amen. A lot of people never hear a kind word. Uh, A lot of people never hear anybody speak well of them or stop and take a few moments to even talk to them, you know, and then offer to pray for them. A lot of people are shocked that you'd offer to pray for them. That's the reason the glory of the Lord will be seen upon us. It will be used as an attraction. And I believe God is about to intensify that. He's going to intensify it. Why? Because we're running out of time. The the time limit on this planet is rapidly coming to a close. Jesus is coming soon. you believe that? Praise God. Well... He wants every person to have an opportunity to hear the truth and come into the knowledge of the truth. And that's where you and I come in. So notice here once again, darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness to people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And once again, Jesus said, let your light so shine among men. The apostle Paul tells us, and this is the foundation of our church of light ministry in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, you all know it, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And I don't think that is a suggestion. I believe that is a command of the Lord, that we are to shine as lights in the world. Amen. It's God's command for us to align ourselves With his ultimate goal. And that is bring as many people to heaven as we can possibly bring. Praise God. Heaven was created for men. Amen. And God wants the place full. Hallelujah. And apparently it's not quite full yet. Because this planet has not seen its last days yet. It's rapidly approaching it. But there's still room for more. In fact, there's another quarter of a million people going to Christ because of chariots of going to heaven because of chariots of light. Amen. And do you realize that many of those people may have never heard the gospel had it not been for chariots of light? For these passionate, faithful people that go into these outreaches? You know, a lot of these places that uh, that we send the teams to, uh they're, they're certainly not. Christian oriented. Some of them are. No, my Lord, you talk about perversion. Some sometimes you have to walk around with your hands over your eyes. You know, I mean, it's just perversion. It's, it's everything goes, you know, it, that's why the Bible says it's a crooked and a perverted world. Another translation says a polluted society. Amen. And a lot of those people would have never heard the truth had it not been for people like the chariots of light going into them and going to minister to them. Brother Copeland said one time that this is one of the last days ministries talking about chariots of light. It's one of the last days ministries. Amen. I'm privileged to know that God considers us valuable to him. Can you say amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you're valuable to God. You're a chariots of light. Hallelujah. Amen. So this is what we were created for. We were created for his glory to shine upon us and to shine through us. Say this with me. I was created for God's glory to shine on me and to shine through me. Can you say Amen. The perverted and crooked world needs our witness more so now than it ever has before. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. Notice we were created for his glory. Not only does that mean, I believe it's a twofold application. Not only does it mean we were created to experience his glory... But it's also meaning that we were created to be vessels of His glory, instruments of His glory. Amen. Amen. We were created for His glory. We were created to bring Him glory. We were created to experience His glory. And we were created to be instruments of His glory. Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 23 says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known. This is God speaking. I will be known... In the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And how is that all going to come about? Through us, through his people. We are the instruments to show forth his glory. Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 14, God tells us how he's going to do that. I will fill you with my spirit. I will fill you with my spirit. I shall put my spirit in you. Amen. And, and you do know that God didn't put His Spirit in us. He didn't baptize us in the Holy Ghost just so we could call ourselves Pentecostal. It's a whole, much, whole lot deeper revelation there. The Bible says from Jesus Himself in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, He says, you shall receive power after which the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. That's the reason why God filled us with His Spirit. He wanted to fill us with His power. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're filled with power. Say that with me. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm filled with His power. Say it again. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm filled with His power. I like what I heard Brother Copeland say back there in the early days when when I first started traveling with him, working with him. He was preaching a message about the Holy Spirit. And he said, when God filled you and I with the Holy Spirit, we became wall to wall, Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You've heard the phrase wall to wall carpet. Well, I'm wall to wall, Holy Ghost. And then he said this, the reason a lot of people can't stand when you lay hands on them because there's only a skin's difference between you and the Holy Ghost. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Only a skin's difference away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let Get your hand on somebody right now. Amen. There's only a skin's difference between you and the Holy Ghost and power. Hallelujah. That's the reason the Bible says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Not they might. Not hopefully. They will. They shall recover. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Lay your hands on somebody around you again and say this. And in the name of Jesus, because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and power, and God told me to lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. If you have any sickness or any disease in your body right now, I believe... By the laying on of my hands, by the anointing of God that resides within me, you are receiving your healing right now. And give the Lord a shout, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. He said, you shall be my witnesses. A witness implies those whose lives and actions testify to having experienced that he's alive. Amen. I'm a witness that he's alive. I like what T.L. Osborne used to say at the end of every crusade. If Jesus is indeed alive today then let him do now what he did before they crucified him. And boy the miracles would begin to happen. I love that. If Jesus is indeed alive then let him do now, today, what he did before they crucified him. Well, what did he do before they crucified him? Acts 10, 38. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed to the devil. For God was with him. Hallelujah. Amen. We are witnesses that he's alive. Hallelujah. How many of you know for a fact he's alive? Say, my Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Say it again. My Jesus is alive. And I'm a witness to that fact. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's begin saying that in our church services. If Jesus is indeed alive, then let him do right now what he did before they crucified him. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to lift my hands right now and say, I receive that. I receive that. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I remember a number of years ago, and some of you may have heard some of these testimonies, but it's my sermon. I can repeat them if I want to. <laughs> a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the nation of Hungary. And the Berlin Wall had just fallen. And prior to that, I was preaching in Sweden. And a man from Hungary and his wife, a minister, came to Sweden to hear me and to ask me, to help them get faith building material into their country. Now at this time, uh, at this particular time, uh, communism was still reigning in uh, that country and all over Europe, Soviet Union, so forth. And uh, to get faith building material into Hungary, you had to smuggle it in. This man had already been to prison three times for preaching the gospel in Hungary. And, and when they would let him out, uh, he'd start preaching again. And of course, now they're kind of keeping an eye on him because they know this guy's not going to stop preaching. And every time they find out where he's holding meetings, they arrest him and put him back in prison. And so when he, he got out, and he's telling me this, he said, uh, when they released me the last time, he said, I couldn't announce where we we're going to have services because they got word of it. They put me in prison again. So he said, I told two people that were close associates or people that that worked with him. He said, I told two people where we're going to have a meeting. And he said, and you spread the word for everybody to just pray in the Holy Ghost. And God will reveal to them where we're having the meeting. Because they couldn't announce where they're having the meeting. Because if they got word of it, the authorities would be there arrest him and put him back in prison. So if you wanted to come to a church service during those days and I'm talking about a Holy Ghost meeting because he was a Holy Ghost preacher, praise God. If you wanted to come to his meetings, come to his church, which was underground church, you had to pray in the Spirit spirit and find out from the Holy Ghost where you would meet. I thought after he told me that if that was to happen in America nobody would show up. If everybody had to pray in the Holy Ghost to find out where the meeting is, it'd just be the pastor and his wife. (laughs) Moving right along. Uh But he'd have a house full of people. I mean, they'd pack it out. And so he came and said, I need you to help me get some faith building material into Hungary. And so when we got home, we set up, uh, made arrangements to do so. And, uh, we were getting material in there before the Berlin wall fell. And then shortly after the Berlin wall fell, then he asked me to come and preach. And so, uh, I didn't know. I mean, who knows me in Hungary? And, uh, uh, I'd never been there before, obviously for the reason being, it was still under communist control, but now the Berlin wall fell. And, uh, Uh, they weren't as strict about preaching the gospel in there as they had been. So I agreed to come. And I didn't have any idea how many people would show up. I didn't know if I was going to be preaching to uh, just a a living room full of people. I didn't know if I was going to be preaching to, you know, maybe a couple of hundred people. I had no idea. But just before I left, Carolyn Rattan, who worked for me for, what, nearly 30 years, 25 years, Carolyn found out that after the Berlin Wall fell, the mayor uh, in, in Budapest, Hungary, had entered into a relationship with the mayor in Fort Worth. And he was asking the mayor in Fort Worth to teach him how to operate as a democracy in Amsterdam. So they had a relationship. And Carolyn found this out. I don't know how she found it out, but she found it out. And so she contacted the mayor's office. It's not the current mayor, but the mayor that was in office at those, in those days. And she contacted the mayor's office and said, uh, Dr. Savell is going to Budapest. Would you be interested in him being a, curie- a courier? And would you like to send something to the mayor in Budapest through Dr. Savell?" So I became an official courier. With a document from the mayor of Fort Worth. Not only that, but he contacted the mayor in Budapest and let him know I was coming. And I had a special document for him. Well, then the mayor began to broadcast the meetings. When I got to Budapest, Hungary, when I landed there. Now, in Europe, every telephone pole becomes a billboard. Isn't that right? I mean... uh, Every every uh, column on a building becomes a billboard. When I left the airport, I saw my picture all over the city on telephone poles, on, on uh, columns and buildings. And I didn't know what it was saying because it was in Hungarian. And it had my picture and then it, it said, it, it used the word HIT, H-I-T. And it had something else. The only word I could make out was hit, H-I-T. And so I asked my driver, I said, what is, the, what is that under my picture? He said, the hit man is coming to Budapest. <laughs> and then I found out that hit in Hungarian is faith. Yeah. Amen. So the faith man is coming to Budapest. Amen. So I was the hit man in Budapest, praise God. And then right under my picture was Fats Domino. And Fats Domino was doing a, a concert in Budapest. And so me and Fats were invading, you know, you could say uh, Fats and Skinny was invading Budapest. Praise God. I thought that was really interesting. And then they took me directly to the mayor's office. When I, I didn't even get to the hotel first. Went to the mayor's office. And uh, so I gave him what was presented to me from the mayor of Fort Worth and he read it and so forth. And he said, we have been promoting your meeting here and, uh, we're expecting a great crowd. And then he asked me this question. He said, could you explain to me why you have such joy? I said, yes, sir. I can explain that to you. It's because of Jesus. Now you have to understand this nation has lived in oppression. Just like all the other communist nations. They've been lied to for years and years and years that God didn't exist. And they saw this joy on me. And he said, would you explain to me why you have such joy? I said, it's because of Jesus. And uh, so he said, I'll be in the meeting tonight. So we went to the hotel. And then when we got ready to go to the meeting, I asked the pastor, I said, where is the meeting going to be held? He said, the sports arena. I said, the sports arena. He said, yes, there will be 13,000 people there. When I walked in that arena, and it still brings tears to my eyes to this day, and saw 13,000 people packed in that arena, wanting to hear many of them, most of them, for the very first time, Jesus. That God was not dead, God is alive. Hallelujah. When I... When I when I walked out there and they turned it over to me, I couldn't hold back the tears. I, I had to say excuse me and I had to walk back behind the curtain and I couldn't control the tears. And finally I came back out there and I began to preach Jesus. The Bible says uh Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And I took that very verse and just preach Christ unto them. And in a few moments, people started jumping out of the top level onto the main floor and running to the front to receive Christ. When I actually gave the invitation, I hadn't given the invitation yet. They started jumping out of the top section onto the main floor and running to the front. And when I finally gave the invitation, it looked like all 13,000 of them tried to come forward. It was amazing. Amen. What was happening? The glory of the Lord was being seen upon me. And God was using it as an attraction, an attention getter. The mayor came to uh, the room that they had me in, like a speaker's room, after the service. And he said to me, he said, uh, and and one of the uh, uh, people that was in charge of the media came to the room. And he said, we didn't explain, uh, we didn't understand what you meant. When you told us at the beginning that this joy came from Jesus, but we understand it now. Amen. And they wrote beautiful articles in the newspaper about the meeting. Well, Buddy Harrison had gone with me and Buddy was always amazing in teaching on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the next morning we invited everybody that could come to come and hear Buddy Harrison talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. There were over a thousand people got filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, just as quick as Buddy prayed, they began to speak in tongues. Amen. Amen. Well, then they asked me to come back. And so I came back a few years later. And by this time, this is now a full-fledged, right in the open, in-your-face church in Budapest, Hungary. And I preached three morning services with 5,000 people in each service. Hallelujah. And boy, I'm telling you, the anointing of God hit that place. It was absolutely amazing. Amen. Well, I began to see just a glimpse of where God's taken this thing. Amen. He said, the glory will be seen upon us. And when will it be seen upon us? When will it intensify? When the world is in its darkest hour. Amen. I like to say it this way. When the world gets darker and darker, the church is going to get brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Say, I'm part of the church. I'm going to get brighter and brighter. Amen. So we've been talking about going to the next level, going to a higher level. Praise God. So once again, Ezekiel 37, 14 says, And I shall put my spirit in you. And where the spirit is, the power of God is. Where the Holy Spirit is, the power of God also resides there. And he says, you will receive power and you shall be my witness. And once again, a witness implies those whose lives and actions testify to the fact that Jesus is alive. That they have experienced his power. They have experienced his goodness. They have experienced his presence. And they're able to display it as well. And you say amen. Praise God. It also implies when you are a witness that you are one who can solemnly affirm that Jesus is indeed alive and your witness will be used to attract others. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I was created for his glory. I was created for his glory. Tell somebody next to you, I was created for his glory. I was reading a book not too long ago, and this gentleman made some interesting comments, and I, I borrowed them. And I want to share them with you right now, just right out of my notes. Generally speaking, people tend to respond to signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's all involved in displaying His glory. Acts chapter 8 verse 6 says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Notice, it wasn't just the good preaching that attracted them. It was the good preaching along with the miracles that attracted them. Amen. Good preaching, praise God, we'll we'll never uh, reach a place where we can't... uh, we, we don't want good preaching anymore, but good preaching should be accompanied with signs, wonders, and miracles. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? The Bible says in the 16th chapter of Mark that they went forth preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Jesus told the disciples, go preach, go teach. And heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out the devil and and cleanse the leper. So notice the assignment was not just to preach, but to demonstrate the power. Demonstrate the glory. And it will become a great attention getter. Brother Hagin used to say that healing and signs and wonders and miracles, God uses like a dinner bell. Amen. Letting people know it's ready. Hallelujah. Amen. The dinner bell. Hold your hand up and say, we need more dinner bells in our services. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. And you were created. God says you were created for his glory. Now, I want you to go with me uh, to the book of Acts chapter 2 and read something there. And while you're turning there, this gentleman said this, if you study church history you'll find that during the first three centuries, it is obvious that the Holy Spirit empowered believers to perform signs, wonders, and miracles. And because of this, it became the single greatest factor contributing to the rapid growth of the Christian church. That's during the first three centuries. Now, the Bible says in Acts two forty seven, the Lord added to the church daily. The message translation says... People in general liked what they saw. Notice it didn't say liked what they heard. Well, apparently they liked what they heard, but they also liked what they saw. Amen. How many services do we have today where people walk out saying, boy, I liked what I saw. What did they say? Did they say anything? (laughs) Did they say anything? Sometimes we settle for three points and a poem. And a benediction. And an offering. And we'll see you again next week. The Bible said in the message translation, people in general liked what they saw. And every day their numbers grew. Hallelujah. Mass conversions, which were directly attributed to the miracles that took place caused the church to reach 5 million people within the first three centuries. First three centuries 5 million people were attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's still a lot of people out there that have not heard yet. Amen. You know uh, Joe and Eric uh, uh, left, when was it? uh, Yesterday. Wednesday. They left for Ethiopia. And uh, to do a graduation service for our Bible school and and also to have a pastor seminar, minister seminar. They're expecting up into thousands of of ministers to to be there. Amen. And and I know Joe. Joe's been working for me, working with me for 35 years or 38 years, something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, Joe is a, a, a wonderful minister of the gospel, but he's very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I, I, he texted me uh, when they got to Dubai, and then they were getting ready to catch their next flight on into Ethiopia. And he texted me and said, we're here safely, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I can't sleep. And uh, and I, I, I texted him back, and I said, uh, I'm praising God for you guys, and I'm praising God that you're fulfilling the assignment that God's given you. And, I, and I'm decreeing over you. That you were created for signs and wonders and miracles. And God is going to show you His glory. All over Ethiopia, praise God. Amen. God's going to show you His glory. You know, Joe and I have been traveling to Africa and all over the world, but particularly Africa, since the early 70s. And uh, every time we've gone, we've seen signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, uh, it's commonplace almost. Uh, People expect it. People come to the meetings expecting it. I remember I I went to uh, Nigeria a number of years ago. By the way, Brother Copeland and I were in Nigeria just a couple of months ago. And uh, uh, we had a minister's conference which had thousands of people in it. He and I both preached in that conference. And then on Sunday, uh, he preached twice. They had several services. I mean, they have services all day long. And the two services that he preached in, there were over 200,000 people. Amen. In each service, they could get as many in the building as they could. And they're getting ready to build a new building. <laughs> and then there was at least 100,000 100, people outside surrounding the, the, the church auditorium. Amen. So in each one of those services, he was ministering to a couple of hundred thousand people. And I remember when, when I went to Nigeria for the first time back in the early 80s, uh, I was doing some open air meetings. And when we arrived there in a place called Oweri, Nigeria, uh, thousands of people, 50,000 people were standing out in the hot sun. Jesse says, uh, uh, when it gets hot in New Orleans or hot in Texas, he says, it's Africa hot. You know, <laughs> Well, it does get hot in Africa. And those people showed up around two o'clock in the afternoon, fifty thousand people. And I didn't even get to the to the open field there until nearly eight o'clock that night. They're standing there, shoulder to shoulder, you know, and just in that hot sun, waiting for this meeting to begin. And and when we were almost there, people were chasing and running down the car that I was in. And they were shouting. He's here. He's here. The man of God is here. And they ran and followed the car all the way to the place where the meeting was being conducted. And when I got out of the car, I found out what it means to be thronged. The Bible says, you know, they thronged Jesus. They were pulling on me. They were trying to touch me. I could hardly get through the crowd to get to the platform. They were so hungry. They were expecting, praise God. Amen. And, and when the service was turned to me, I got up and I just simply opened with Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And the miracle started happening. I mean, I didn't preach five minutes. And the miracle started happening. 21 blind people instantly recovered their sight, praise God. 21 of them. Amen. One of them was the banker. He was uh, uh, the vice president of the bank. And everybody there knew him. And he came up and testified first. I once was blind, but now can I see. And boy, after he testified, you just looked out across there. And it's like the anointing was flowing over that crowd like waves on the the sea. And all of a sudden, crutches are being held up. Wheelchairs are being tossed aside. I never preached more than five minutes, quoted one scripture. Jesus, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. What's happening? I'm being a witness that he's alive. Amen. Amen. They're seeing the glory. Hallelujah. And I believe, praise God, we're headed for meetings. Oh my. The Bible says all things were created by him and for him. Uh, I'd like to announce that Texas Stadium... AT&T Stadium was not built for the Cowboys. It was built for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day, and I believe it's not too far down the road, they're going to pack that place out with believers and people that need to come into the knowledge of the truth. Hallelujah. You know, uh, we were in uh, Cuba earlier this year. And uh we were preaching there and, and I had a marvelous time, marvelous meeting, and I was just overwhelmed by the hunger of these people. And and I was overwhelmed by how joyful they were and they had absolutely nothing. But they had Christ. In fact, I went back to my room one night and I was in tears and I felt I felt ashamed that I all this stuff I have. And these people have nothing. And I felt ashamed. And the Lord said, No, don't feel ashamed. That's the reason I've blessed you, so you could reach people like this. That's right. That's right. He said, if you weren't prospering, you couldn't be here. Right. And and preaching there in Cuba. And and we we were able to help the pastor purchase some land to build his church on and the the youth ministers that were living in a little it looked like a gypsy trailer it, it 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 was just a little small him and his family living in this looked like a gypsy trailer and they were living in that and their daughter she led the praise and worship i have never in my life seen a young girl that face radiated the joy of the lord like that girl you wouldn't know that she owned about 3 dresses <laughs> you wouldn't know that she lived in a trailer that had nothing. Didn't have any electricity. I mean, they had electricity, but they didn't have any air conditioning. They didn't have any fans. They didn't have anything. But she'd walk out of there with this big smile on her face and she'd lead the praise and the worship. And, and you just couldn't take your eyes over her because the glory of the Lord was radiant on her. And when I told her and her mother and dad that I was going to build them a house, you ought to sin. Oh, and they got, they, they got the house finished now, praise God. Oh, they're in that house, glory to God. And the Lord said, don't feel ashamed, you're blessed. That's the reason you are blessed, so you can do things like this, praise God. Amen. And, and I preached at the church on Sunday morning. And the pastor said, uh, we, we receive on the average $5 a week every church service. $5 a week. And uh, after I got through preaching, they wanted to receive an offering from me, which I didn't want them to do. And the Lord said, go ahead and receive it. And then make it a twice-sown seed. And so they received an offering from me. The pastor was overwhelmed. It was over $500. He said, this is the largest offering that's ever been received in the history of this church. And he hands it to me. And I said, well, sir is it my offering? He said, yes. I said, can I do whatever I want to with it? Of course. I said, well, then I'm going to sew it back into the church. And I said, use it to do some remodeling on the church. They were overwhelmed. Praise God. And of course they're asking, when can you come back? <laughs> Amen. That's the reason I'm blessed. I will never be ashamed of being blessed again. Hallelujah. And, and even when when i get into uh, places like that where there's poverty and and you know people don't have anything they're believing for everything then i come home and my house is filled with precious treasures and 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 god's blessed me with stuff that most people can only dream of and you go to places like that and they have nothing and the lord said don't be ashamed of what I've given you use it as a tool to reach people like that praise amen. God amen. amen what am I doing I'm shining I say I'm shining praise God I'm I was shining bright in Cuba I shined bright in Puerto Rico the other day didn't we went over there with Pastor Jose and his family and and of course uh, going downtown one day and and having lunch uh, I was amazed at all the buildings that were closed uh, that, that are not even occupied because of that terrible uh, hurricane that hit the island a short time ago, a few years ago. And they don't have the money to redo it. Uh, some of it, I don't know what they'll do. Some of it, I guess, eventually they'll just tear it down. I don't know. But being over there and being with people that are so hungry... Jose has a church over there. He has a church in Florida, has a church over there. And of course, he and his wife were were raised there. And and, uh, uh, I was just so overwhelmed by the goodness of God and how hungry the people were. Amen. Uh, Jose has already asked me, uh, when are you coming back? Oh, yeah, I'm coming back. You can count on that, praise God. I'm in my element when I'm in places like that. I like to shine. I say, I like to shine, praise God. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, am I shining? (laughs) Praise God. We were created for His glory. We were created for His glory. So once again, the message translation in Acts 2.47 says, People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew. Amen. Mark 16, 17, and 20. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And it says, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. For the most part, people embraced their message because of the influence of miracles. Amen. It's wonderful to preach good sermons. Wonderful to preach great sermons. I've been known to preach a few. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Many of you in here have been known to preach a few great sermons. I I, I heard Brother Copeland say something the other day when we were flying back from Detroit just a few days ago. He was talking about, uh, he's about to record. Now, Brother Copeland will be 83 years old in December, and he's about to record a new album. (laughs) And his voice is just as strong as it's ever been. And he decided... When Andre Crouch went home to be with the Lord, he had an opportunity to speak to Andre just before he left. And he said, Andre, I know you're headed for heaven. And he said, I just want you to know the Lord told me to tell you this. They're singing your songs in heaven. Because many of Andre's songs, I mean, they went worldwide. They're anthems. And, and the Lord told Brother Copeland, he said, tell Andre when he gets to heaven he'll be hearing the angels sing his songs. Isn't that great? And so he said, uh, after uh, he spoke to Andre and spoke to Sandra, his sister, he said, the Lord impressed upon me that I didn't think I'd ever go back in the studio to record another album. He said, but the Lord told me to record an album singing all of Andre's songs. Amen. And that's, that's, that's what he's doing. Amen. Can you imagine when you get to heaven, that they're singing songs you wrote. They won't be doing that for me, but for some people. When I get to heaven, I'm going to tell the apostle Paul, I preached all your sermons. And I'm hoping that he'll say, and I've preached a few years too since I've been here. Praise God. Amen. You don't think we're just going to sit in heaven and pick guitars and flap wings, do you? No. We're going to have church when we get to heaven, praise God. Can you imagine, you know, being in heaven and they're introducing, you know, Oral Roberts, Billy Graham and all these great preachers and Smith Woolsworth and all them. And they're preaching and we're all shouting. And then they finally say, and the moment we've been waiting for, our special guest, Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Boy, will that, will that be a sermon, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, while we're waiting to go, let's shine while we're down here. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, listen to this. Clearly, there is a connection between Jesus commissioning his disciples to preach the word and his empowering them to perform miracles. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 through 15 says, And he ordained twelve. That they should be with him that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils.